Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Um, hopefully you have a copy of the handout. If you don't, um, I started last week, so this will be part two. We'll see how far we get. Um, if you don't have one, we can get you some more. Anybody need a copy? Uh, they're, out, they're out there. Okay. We, all right. Good. Praise the Lord. Um, you want to get out a pen, too, as well? Those listening by live stream, just get your notes out and pen out. Um, I'm going to give you some scriptures that you can put in the margin along with it. Uh, I just want to encourage you. I, I wanted to know, I won't do a show of hands, how many did your homework? <laughs> but if you were here last week, I asked you to read through the book of Ephesians and then Colossians, because it'll help really in the uh, revelation of, of what, uh, what we're going to unpack. So let me try to get us all on the same page, those also listening by live stream that'll come on at some a later date as well. Um, so, I titled the message last week and this week, Seated with Christ in the Heavenly Realms. Now, when we read through Ephesians in that chapter, we can kind of buzz through it. You also might see it in Colossians where it says, you're seated with Christ. And we're just like, oh, oh yeah. And we're like, no do, no, do you really understand what that means? And this is a desire to really uh, get there. I want to kind of pull in three, two weeks ago, Pastor Bishop preached on approaching God as the righteous judge out of Luke 18. Approaching God as a righteous judge. Use that example of the unrighteous judge who's just worn out by this woman. <laughs> if I give her what she wants. Now, if he's a righteous judge, how do you approach the righteous judge? There, there are certain protocols. We have a judge in our midst here, and we, if you've ever been in a courtroom, um, there is protocol in the courtroom. If you don't tuck your shirt in, a lot of times you don't turn your cell phone on, you're not carrying on conversation, there'll be some help that'll come to you, right? So there's a, there's a especially if you're trying to impress the judge to drop the charges, right? And so there's a, there's a protocol in um, approaching and then Bishop also kind of introduced the court of heaven. I had preached about this about two months ago where Paul had gone to the third heaven. Remember out of 2 Corinthians 12, it says, I, Paul, went to the third heaven, and I saw things that I could not utter or I couldn't put words to, but even if I could, I wouldn't be allowed to share with what it was. Now, when you put that in context with what he writes, remember this is this uh, letter of Ephesians, Paul writes, it's one of his four prison epistles, and he writes in another one of his prison letters while he's in Rome in prison, he writes the book of Philippians. And in that book, he says, I know that it's, I can't wait. If I die now, I can't wait to be with Christ. For me to die is gain. But it's best, so it's best that I stay and, fill, and basically fill, fulfill what my God has called me to do for your benefits. But he knew something. He saw something, right? The eyes, remember he wrote in Corinthians, he says, no eye has seen nor ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. But we know by the Spirit. So Paul was communicating, I've been there. I can't wait to get there. And this guy, man, what did he go through? Shipwrecked, snake bit, stoned, beaten five times within one slash of killing him, right? This guy is like, why did he put up with all? And 
You know, he's in prison with Silas, and instead of, oh, they're praising and earthquakes happen and doors get unlocked and get jailers get saved. I mean, the guy was different, okay? And he had seen something, and that ought to be a hope to us, right? So when we look at the court of heaven, this placement of being seated in the heavenly realms, we really want to get a, an understanding of what that means. Because we're so grounded in the natural realm, but when he says, you're alive right now, but you're seated in this heavenly place, and it's paradise. I unpacked that last week. So, the enemy has a right. One of Bishop's messages, if you're praying and nothing's happening, just like in Mark 11 when he says you want to speak to the mountain, there's a conditionality to what you do in speaking to your mountains. Believe God. Pray. Forgive, right? And so, if there's a legal right of why the enemy is coming against you, he's a legalist, right? And so, it'd be good to understand what are the legal rights. So, when anything's going on in my life that I don't really understand or like, I do an inventory. Okay, Lord, you know everything. Philippians 1, James 1, 6 says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. You get, Lord, is, is there anything authorizing this joker and what's going on right now? Or is this just part of your amazing plan to bring us through, <laughs> right? So, it's really good to find out if there's a legal right. Because he's, in John 10.10, it says, there's a great job description for the Satan and for Jesus. In John 10.10, he says, I am, Jesus says, I've come to give you life in all of its abundance, in all of its fullness. Well, this is in full and abundance, then maybe you want to find out part B of that. The devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his job description. And so, doing that inventory, but I want to balance a lot of this because what happens when God doesn't answer the prayer you think He ought to answer this way, or when you, you know, the great genie in the sky, you're supposed to do this, and it doesn't happen that way. I'm going to introduce the sovereignty of God in the midst of it, and we're a, we're a tribe that believes in the miracles we believe what Mark 16 said, go into all the world, make disciples of all men. These will be the signs of them that believe. Number one, cast out demons in my name, right? Be able to handle deadly things without harm. Now, that's not like take the rattlesnakes and dance with them and all that stuff. It's right. It's when you're on, we only do that on Sunday evenings, but I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I've had actually people call me and say, do you do that snake thing there? <laughs> Only on Sunday nights. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But that means when you're on the mission field and they come to poison you, or circumstances like Paul on the island of Malta. I've been there when I was in the, mil in the um, Merchant Marine, and he gets attached to a, a poisonous viper when he's picking up the sticks after being shipwrecked, right? And they say, well, let's just wait. He'll, he'll be dead in a few minutes. Watch this. He must be God. And then they start worshiping. He says, no, I'm not God. But it opens the door to save the entire Malta, including the governor. So it's like, why did I get bit by the snake and I got shipwrecked? Because I have an assignment for you. You wouldn't have stopped at Malta, but I got a governor in the whole city that needs to get saved. Oh. And we get in, oh, I'm snake bitten, shipwrecked. I've had a bad day. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. So I'm not, you know. So what is this? How do we approach the, the Lord? How, what do we understand about being seated with Him? So, this, I want to kind of set the, the main thing, the main thing. 
I want to keep that. But I love, two weeks ago I heard in intercessory prayer, take your position. Take your position. And like, that was before, as I was praying, and I'm like, you know, you ever get those, like, strong impressions? Like, take your position. I'm like, Lord, does that mean, you know, if you're going to do a, if you're going to get hit in football, you, you get ready, right? So, if you take your position, on, so it was uh, this Wednesday, Doug Henry was doing communion, and the Lord gave him the night before, Second Chronicles chapter 20. And in Second Chronicles chapter 20, if you remember the story there, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, they're about ready to be overwhelmed by the Ammonites, the Menuhites, the Jebusites, all the termites were coming, right? They're, they're, all, they're all coming, right? Overwhelming. So, what does he do? I love this. He gathers the children and the families, and they come together to stand, it says literally, in 2 Chronicles 20, stand before the Lord. And in the midst of that, the Lord hears them, and a prophetic word is released, and He says, don't be afraid. You don't have to worry. You won't even have to lift a fight against this. And then he gives the strategy. He says, tomorrow, go out to the, the area of, of Z's. He even tells them where the enemy's going to come, right? Releases the strategy. And then he gives the strategy for war. Take your worship team and put them in the front of the army and go out there. Now, if you were on the worship team, would you really hope they heard the Lord? And I'm sure the mighty men who are back there, you know, they were alarmed. And were, what is this? We've never seen this before. <laughs> and as soon as they start to worship, you know the story. The enemy is destroyed. There's something about worship in the midst of overwhelming odds against all the ites that are in our lives, right? So there's this place. But in that Scripture, in Second Chronicles 20, it says, in King James, it says, set yourselves the New Living says, take your position. And man, that just jumped off the page when he said it. It's like, whew, there it is again, confirmation. Where are you positioned? Where are you seated? Are you seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, or are you trying to deal from everything from down here in the natural realm? Because you can't, you can't win this battle, right? We're supposed to fight with weapons of warfare. Second Chronicles 10, 3. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty to the pulling down of demonic strongholds, taking every, every, every thought captive, making it come into subjection to Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10, 3. Paul knew something about spiritual warfare. The guy faced a whole lot of mess, right? So there's this place where taking that thought captive and taking your position in Christ. So... What's it all about? I want to I pull this, but sometimes we get really deep, you know, we, we dig in, and this is definitely not um, Christianity 101 stuff that we're digging into right now, but I believe it's preparing the body of Christ for what's coming. Jesus told us it's going to be worse than anything that's ever happened in the earth ever. So, there's something about this placement of God in us at this time, but let me ask you, let's get real basic for a minute. What's this all about? Remember the song, Alfie? What's it all about, Alfie? You're looking at me like, I don't know that song. Maybe you weren't even born yet. I don't know. Uh, I, as I was preparing this, I heard that, what's it all about, Alfie? I'm like, 
I don't know. Who's Alfie? I even asked Siri, who the heck is Alfie? But she didn't answer me. She goes, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. But okay, stop. Let me. So what's this all about? What's the big picture? What's the goal? What's the end game? Why are you here? Why are you alive right now? Why have you been born where you've been born? Is it all circumstance? Your mom and dad got together and voila. No, he is the creator of all things. And all, regardless of how you got here, he's the author of life, right? If he knows about every thought, he knows every hair on your head, those who have it, hallelujah. <laughs> I always kid Pastor Willie. He goes, yeah, anyway. Oh, Lord, bring me back. Okay, so he knows everything, right? He says the thoughts about you are numerous as the sands of the sea. So this all-knowing, all-powerful God who knows it, you're here for a reason. So it's really good to keep the main thing the main thing. He's always been about family. When you look at the big picture, it's always been about family, right? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Remember, first book, He created all things. We are believers of the biblical worldview. The Bible is the Word. It's true. You can stake your life on it, right? We'll go there again. So, in Genesis 1, He says, let us, who's the us? Let us make man in our own image, right? And then, you know the story, places him in this beautiful place. He gives him everything. He is the God of love. He is love, right? Now, love likes to express itself. Now, God doesn't have any needs, but He certainly has wants. So, the God of love says, I want a family. I'm going to have a family. He creates it all. In fact, if you look at the We've studied the science and the biology and all of that, right? Archaeology that proves over and over again that the Word is true. If you don't believe that, go get Josh McDowell's volumes of, a, of an agnostic who went out to prove that the Word is not true, that this stuff isn't real. 800 pages of the first volume, and he goes through every one of the 1,500 years of 66 books of 40 different offers over different times and seasons, and they write this word, and it perfectly works, and he looks at every prophecy, and then he does a probabilistic analysis, and he shows to the tenth to the gazillionth power, this God, it, it, you'd be an idiot not to believe this, and he becomes a believer right? And then he becomes a pastor, and it's like, and so he goes on and he proves this, and he says, so in the beginning, God created, and he said, I'm going to have a family. He creates this beautiful garden, this beautiful place, but love without boundaries is not real, right? Love that is uh, manipulative or forced, the world has a name for that, and it's not good. And so, the God of love says, I'm going to have a family, but I put conditionality around it. This, there are certain boundaries. These are things you can do, and these are things you can't do. And in the family development, the desire to have this family forever with Him, He's going to prove those who love Him. And part of what you're going through right now is to test where's your faith and do you really love that's the, so you keep the main thing the main thing. He's about family. He's a God of love. And in the midst of this, now there was another created creatures, <laughs> Satan, Lucifer, this, he, he had free will as well. 
And God knew. He creates this environment where He decides He's going to be God. And he, if you look in Revelation 12, you look in Isaiah, it says that He leads this rebellion, and one-third of the angels are cast out in Revelation 12, and they come to earth. That's the bad news. They're out of heaven, right? They're out of the paradise. They're out of the seated realm of the third heaven where paradise is. We covered this last week, where Jesus sits. So, He's been kicked out, and this joker, this minion, God now uses as a pawn in part of His plan. And He knows where He's going, and His time is short, right? And so, when you keep this picture, but what's the strategy? God says, I love you. This is all for you, but you can't eat this fruit, these two trees, I don't want you to touch. Everything's yours. Everything. So then, you know the story. The demon, the demonic realm comes in, and he always uses this strategy. He challenges God's integrity. He challenges his character. And then he lies, because he's been a liar from the beginning. The first words out of the serpent's mouth in the garden is, did God really say... Did, did He really say that the day that you eat this, you shall surely die? Now, here's the lie. You won't die. He knows you'll be like God. So, He challenges this, right? And so, He always challenges God's character and His goodness and His motives. Always. And that's what He does in your life and in mine. All the stuff you see, this can't be good what's going on. God, where are you? I thought you were a good God. We're going to handle this. Just hold on. Buckle up here, right? So, when we understand the strategy, we understand the big picture, he's going to have a family. And that family is going to be proved through the fire of life and stuff. Remember, I shared last week, like, life is formed on the, on the anvil. It's hot. It's burning. It's like, boom, forming, right? If you like a more gentle approach, um, my wife says, you could be more gentle. I'm trying. Um, remember, he says you're a masterpiece. You're a workmanship, right, in Ephesians 2, to do the good works he planned for you before the foundations of the earth, right? And here's the, he's greater than Michelangelo. He's got this ugly piece of stone, really hard ground. And, and how many years, did you, you people who have art in your, in your bones, how many years did it take him to make some of these work? Years, right? Yeah, I'm not, that's not one of my gifts. And so, we see this masterpiece that's being formed. He who began the work in you will perform it, right, till the day comes, Philippians 1, 6. Okay, so when we look at the first chapter, we, we see what the strategy of the enemy was, what he's trying to plan. He tries to seat distrust of the goodness of God. So, this life and why you're created now is... It's this individual battle for faith and love. It's a battle between faith and love, right? And so, once we get this, I like this, Hebrews 11, 6. This is just a powerful Scripture. In Hebrews 11 and 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Without faith, it's impossible. For anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that He is. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently or sincerely seek him. So, the question is, will you trust God and his goodness 
regardless of what's going on. Despite what you've been through, despite what's happened to you, despite what people have done to you, this whole, so can you still trust that God is good? Yes. Amen. I got one. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, we say that, but this, when, when you're tested in the fireplace, right, that's where, woohoo, right? Romans 11.33, this is in your handout later, but I like this Scripture as well. well Romans 11.33, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible is it for us to understand His decisions and His ways? Now, that that ought to, that's kind of like goes with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, right? In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. He'll direct your pathway. So when your brain can't figure it out, just do what the Word says and be led by the Spirit, and He'll direct your path. And I love what my friend Mike says. He says, we do more by accident than we do on purpose, right? And it's like, it's like, God, I don't know how, how did, we, some of you could say, I don't know how I got to Wilmington. We just like, you know, it's like, how did, how did all this happen? I love the testimonies that we've been having on Wednesday nights. Uh, this week it was like, when you look at the pathways that are being, and how God sets up the divine appointments so they meet their spouse. I love Richard and Gillian's one. That was, uh, wow, it was like, she's carrying the luggage or something like that, and the Lord highlighted theirs. Anyway, it's just great. I love how God directs pathways, just happened to be at that camp and met the, yeah, 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 right. Okay, so His greatness and His goodness. Isaiah 55 says this way, my thoughts, Lord is speaking, are nothing like your thoughts. Nothing. My ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. My ways and thoughts are higher than yours. All right, on your front page there, we're going to quickly summarize from last week. The, when you look at I, what I have done is taken the first three chapters of Ephesians, the prison letter, and I've put what I thought were the, like, oh, wow moments, right? And he says that as followers of Christ, we know, first of all, he, Paul writes this to the holy people of Ephesus, so they're already believers. God the Father has blessed you with every or all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. Now, you could stop right there and say, what does that look like? all heavenly blessings in the heavenly realms. What's in the heavenly realms? Hoo-hoo. You can't figure it out. Paul couldn't even tell you. And if he wanted to, he wasn't allowed to. But they're there, right? He chose you to be holy without fault in His eyes, adopted into His family, purchased and forgiven by the blood of His Son. Furthermore, you received an inheritance. Do you know how rich you are? Some of you need to write some of those checks from that inheritance in the name of Jesus, right? He identified mighty power for who us who believe Him. Christ is seated with God in the heavenly realms. There it is in the middle. You once were dead. I covered this. If you're not a born-again believer, you are spiritually dead. The day that you ate of the rebellion, your great-great-great-grandparents passed that along as this virus in our system that we were dead until we come to Him. And there's only one way to the heavens. There's only one way to salvation. It's Christ and Him alone. The only way to the Father is through the Son. All this other cult stuff that's being preached every which direction now, there's many roads up the mountain. No, there isn't. There's one. And you'll, get, you'll fall off the cliff if you try any others, right? And so, 
His masterpiece, you are His workmanship, created in Christ. You're not a stranger anymore. You're citizens, members of God's family, His household, a holy temple. There's unsearchable riches. Are you getting this? It's like, whoa, right? May you experience the love of Christ, and then you'll be made complete. So, we shared out of this example, and Bishop hit on this, and I want to I dive into this a little bit more. There are books once you understand the major game plan about family and where we're going, then it would also be good to look at the end and figure out what does the end look like and how will I be judged in this end so that I can apply what I'm going to learn from that right now. Bishop talked about one of them was the book of destiny. There are destinies in God, and I'm going to give you scriptures, but there are also many books they're plural, the book of Daniel, book of Revelation. So, what are those books? Because he deals with this, and I think it would be really good. Let's turn to a couple of Scriptures here when we talk about destiny. Um, let me read, first of all, to you a verse out of Psalm 139. Very familiar psalm. So, Psalm 139, you can jot this in the corner there next to that Ephesians write-up. Verse 16 and 17, David writes this, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Do you know that God knew you'd be sitting here today? However you got here or came to Wilmington, God, He knew. He said, yeah, I got it. It's in, it's in the destiny plan, right? Now, you can violate God's plan with your own free will. That's one of the things that will happen. He's got a plan and a destiny, and you can make free will choices that are opposite of that. But He can work with that, even that, right? He can work all things together. So, He says, you saw me before I was born. Every day was recorded in your book. Every moment, every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now, that is wild. He knows everything, and He knows who you are, and He's laid it out for you. That's why when he says he created in you the good works that you would do before the foundation. So, think of your life chapter and goes, I got some work for you to do. Right? Okay. Let's give you another one. Turn with me. Um, let's turn to Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel 7, dealing with the court of heaven and understanding what's going to take place. This deals, obviously, with Daniel had visions of the end times. He had visions of the actual empires that were going to fall. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar, he tells Nebuchadnezzar, what are the dreams and all the empires that came and went? And so, all of that was validated, and it's true, and history proves it. And the archaeology proves it that David wrote it. And the Dead Sea Scrolls prove it that he wrote it, okay? And so, if that's true, then we couldn't have a lot of confidence that this would also be true. Look at Daniel chapter 7 and look at verse 9 and 10. Now, Daniel's going to be told what this is all about, this vision he has. He goes, I watched as thrones were put in place, Daniel 7, 9, and the ancient one, King James says, the ancients of days sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair is like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire, and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend to him, 
And the court began its session, and the books, plural, were opened. The books were, so I want you to see, there's a, you and I have a court date. You have a court date. And you know what happens if you don't make your court date? Well, this one, you won't have much of a choice, right? You will be brought in that place of it. And that's why you really want to have a really, really good lawyer. <laughs> because the stuff that you could be convicted of the death penalty. And you need a really good lawyer to get you off of this because you're all guilty. Me too, right? And that lawyer's name is Jesus if you know him. And he will stand before that judge, and when they bring the evidence, he goes, that, not guilty, not guilty. The evidence has been superseded, right? And so this court will be in session, and there will be this place. In the books, the evidence of the things. You know what this person did in their life, the accuser of the brethren? They'll open up the They did this, and they did this. And he goes, yeah, the blood has eradicated it. The blood has eradicated it. They confess that. As far as east is from the west, there is no more sin. And it says the all-knowing, all-powerful God, I will remember their sin no more. It's like, how does that happen? The blood, the blood, the blood, right? And so it's like, okay, so there's a court. This is going somewhere. Hang in with me. Turn in Malachi, we, we, well, you know, let's, let me paraphrase it for time. In Malachi, do you realize that you have a resume in heaven? When you get to prepare to go for a job, right, you write up your resume. What are your experiences, where you've did, what's your education, what you did, right? Well, you have a resume in heaven. You don't believe me? Look at Malachi 3.16. Malachi says there's a book, here's one of the books, a book of remembrance, the scroll of remembrance, King James says. The scroll of remembrance has been written, and it says those who loved and feared the Lord and honored His name. Feared the Lord and honored His name. They will be my very own children. It says, and I have recorded what they said. Woohoo! There's a book of, I believe there's a book of words. Remember it says every idle word, you'll give account for every idle word or every careless word. When you've gossiped and hated racially, you know, all of the mess, those things are recorded, I believe, in the book of words, right? And so, there's, there's books. And we get these from scriptural places that says you'll give an account. Jesus said that. So, in Malachi, there's your resume, that's there, and it says, what I love about it, it goes, you can read the rest of it in Malachi, just before chapter 4, which talks about the coming of Elijah in the last days, right? He'll break the curse over the land. In Malachi 3, he says, on the day that I act in judgment, you will see the difference between my children and the children of the world, or the ones that are not my children. Woo-hoo! That's going to be a day, man, Right? We know that the Word says it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. That's in Hebrews. So, there's this place. Recognize you've got a court date coming. You really want the best lawyer there is, Jesus, in the midst of that to make intercession for you and to apply the benefits of His sacrifice for you, right? Okay, turn with me now to Revelation 20. Revelation chapter 20, that's, so we went to the beginning of the book, the back of the book. Now, look at, here's another indication of what happens in the end. In Revelation 20, let's begin in verse, 
Oh, let's start in verse 12. Revelation 20, verse 12. I saw, this is John, he has this revelation, and he writes it down. He says, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books, notice the plurality, the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done. So, it's a book of works. As recorded in the books, the sea gave up the dead, the death and grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Here's the work or deeds book. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, the cults that are preaching that God's going to save everybody and that there's no hell, right? Everybody's going to heaven. Um, I don't know what word you're reading, okay? It's not the way it's going to play out. And so, understanding that there's a book of works, there's a book of deeds, and so there's this place where one day you'll stand and you'll give an account. And so, we need to have this revelation or maybe the, the reverential fear or the honor of the Lord that this is all coming, right? And so, Paul goes on later and he says, you can write this one, 1 Corinthians 3.13, he says, all of your works will be fire tested, right? He's going to take a blowtorch to everything you've done, right? He's going to stack it all up and it's going to be the wood, hay, and stubble stuff, the stuff you did selfishly, self-centered, that was for me, pridefully arrogant. Oh, wait a minute, here's some gold that they did for the, for the poor and the broken and the kingdom, and, and that stuff goes up. In 1 Corinthians 3.13, on judgment day, quote, fire will reveal what work each builder, each builder, you know, you're real, you realize you're a builder, right? Of the kingdom. Each builder will have to have their works tested. The fire will show if the person's work had any value. From whose perspective? Kingdom. Kingdom perspective, right? That's why in Matthew, Jesus says this. Matthew 9, I don't give you a lot of scriptures, but I'm just laying the groundwork here. Don't store up treasure here on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. Wherever your treasure is, your heart will be. So, let's think about some of these books. There's the book of life. The book will be opened, and your name should be in that book. Better be in that book. If it's not, come see us after service. If you're not sure, if you were to die today, right now, and you're not sure, the Word says you will know by the Spirit that you're born again. He'll witness to you, right? Now, that, you still need to challenge, God, am I doing the right things? That's a really healthy thing to do to please Him, right? In faith. So, there's the book of life. There's the book of works. I believe there's a book of words. Um, I believe there's a book of finances, that, remember in Malachi chapter 3, just before the Scriptures I just read you about the book of remembrance, is the tithing chapter. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, right? This whole nation has stolen from me. You st I mean, how did we steal from you? Your tithes and offerings. You've stolen from me my tithes and my offerings. That's why you're under a curse. On judgment day, he's going to pull up the financial records. Hello? 
When you've taken God's 10% that He loaned to you so you could use it in the giving of your tithes, 10% tithe, and your offerings, that's open to you to decide, God, how do I bless or not? He's going to have a financial record of all the things of where there's been a... So what does that curse look like? I'm just... The Word says, if you don't believe me, look at the Scriptures. In Matthew 23, 23, Luke eleven forty two. Jesus is questioned about the, the, the Pharisees come and they take all their, all their vegetables and everything and they, that's 10%. Right? And he says, so should you tithe? Jesus says, yes, you should tithe. New Testament, right? But the greater things are the things of love. That's Christianity 101. That's red letter out of Jesus' mouth. Go look at it. And so... My point of this is, we need to understand what is the protocol that's going to come in your courtroom so that we can then say, better look good for the judge today, comb my hair, shave, and get ready, right? Now, that sounds like works, and I get it, but, but I, I'm just trying to point, there's going to be a court of heaven. Now, once we understand the protocols, it helps to unravel all the things that we think the enemy could use to legitimately steal from you. If you're under a curse and you've stolen from God, and then you wonder why you have no finances or you're not making, you might want to go look at it, right? Because that's a legitimate reason for him to come kill, steal, and destroy. And so, once we understand what's in the record keeping, he's told us so clearly if we would just study the Word and then do it, do it, do it. Try me in this, he says. Test me in this. See if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't contain, right? And so, these, the, again, the Word is so true and so powerful. How about the parable of the rich fool, right? This guy's wealthy, and he's building his barns. He goes, I got to build more barns to store all my stuff. He says, you're such a fool. Don't you know tonight your soul will be taken from you? And then what? Or the rich man in Lazarus who refused to help the poor and the sick and the one sitting in front of him, stepped over him every day, right? And he's with, go look at that in Luke's gospel, chapter 16. He's sitting there in the fire, and he's screaming out to Abraham, please help me. Too late, buddy. The idolatry of greed and self-centeredness, if we could just, come on. So, okay. Turn to the bottom of your outline. In the bottom of your bottom of your outline there it says Paul as citizens of heaven. I'm going to shift because now once we've laid this foundation of the books of destiny, plans, purpose, what is the big picture? Now we need to help and I've had this uh, people come and ask me, Pastor, it didn't happen this way. Why did we prayed for this person and they died and and uh, there's a there's a place in our hearts. We, we pray and we believe. I've had person this week, prayer ministry from another portion of the state, this person came and said, my family member, my friend lost her faith when a loved one died and she prayed and they, God didn't answer her prayer, not the way she believed it should be, right? And so she gave up her faith. That was the same woman who led this woman to the Lord when she's in her atheist state, because she was raised Pentecostal, she knew all the gospel and truth, 
And when she says, we're going to the psychic, I think I shared this last week, we're going to the psychic, come on. So it's her new boss, we're going to the psychic, this person's not born again. She goes, oh, okay, he wants to please her boss. So they set up their appointments to go have their reading done by the psychic. When they get there, the night before, this soon-to-be pre-Christian had been asking God, she'd been studying all the different theologies and different um, beliefs of the world, She's like, I'm in a search for you, God. I'm in a search for you. Where are you? Where are you? And she, she goes, I, I don't know where you are. And she's awakened at 3 in the morning, and the light shines on the window pane, the little thing in her, and it projects the cross on the wall. And she's up at 3 in the morning, and she starts naturally just repenting, pouring her heart out. God, I'm so sorry that… And she, she's born again, I believe, at that moment. She goes, something shifted. But she didn't want to disappoint her boss. She didn't know Deuteronomy 18.10, have nothing to do with witchcraft, the new age. Tell your people not to even participate in that stuff, right? She didn't know any of the scriptures. So she goes to the psychic reading. And for an hour and a half, her boss is in there getting her reading. And she's outside like, well, when am I going to get my turn? <laughs> and she comes out, her boss comes out, and she goes in and sits down with the psychic. And the psychic says, oh, he's been talking to you. See, the devil knows who he is, right? She goes, I can't give you this reading. Well, what do you mean? I'm going to pay you. I am not taking your money. I cannot give you this reading. You need to leave. See, we've had the demons tell us they are so close to Jesus, we can't touch them. So, there's this place where, okay, God, what are you doing? This is that amazing grace of what God is doing in the midst of it. So, now she becomes this citizen of heaven, <laughs> and, she gets, and it's just amazing what a testimony she has now. I want you to see in the bottom of that handout, we know that Paul went to the third heaven. Those are all the Scriptures. Jesus talked about paradise. The bottom there in Colossians 3 says, we've been risen with Christ and seated with Him. You died to your old life, so put to death the earthly sinful things lurking within you. Now, that's, come, that's really wild language. I know King James says it differently, but he says there's some really ugly stuff lurking in you. Anybody ever get surprised by some of the thoughts you have? Now, don't own it because, right, the, this, this, I can't get into all this now, but there, I believe there are at least four realms or origins of thought, Holy Spirit, demonic, the world, and your heart. So that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, 10, 3, take every thought captive. It, you don't have to own that. Some people say, oh, my God, my God. Don't own it. Get rid of that thought. Cast it out, right? Uh, I'm not having that. Pull it down and make it subject to Christ. The Word says this. And so, but there's some ugly lurking things that we need to be dealing with, Right? And so, Paul said that. He knew it, right? He was a murderer. <laughs> he wanted to hang and, you know, get rid of the people of the way, and he did a job on that. So, he knew something. Okay, we're going to lighten this up a little bit now. Turn to the second page. The privilege of being a citizen. Hallelujah. Woohoo! Legal rights of the citizens of the Most High God. We got a few more minutes. All right. I'm probably going to have to do week three on this. But let me, all right, first of all, you're given dominion. You have authority delegated to you. Delegated authority. 
And I give you the Scriptures there. Power over demonic realms. Be good to exercise that, right? That's in Luke chapter 10. I've given you full power and authority over all works of the devil. In no way he can injure you. Greater works are available. John 14, 12. Greater works are available to you because I go to the Father. These are really good things to have. And then eternal life in paradise. Does it get any better than that? <laughs> I mean, hmm. Okay. I want to introduce this, what I'll call the, the mystery of we pray. And you know, if you've been here, you read the books, been around with, we have seen the miraculous, right? We have just seen it. I mean, we've seen the tumors disappeared. We've seen the blind eyes open. We've seen the deaf here. We've seen the cripples manifest in front of our eyes, bone structures out, legs go straight. You can't unsee it. When you're preaching the name of Jesus and you lay hands on the sick, we've seen the demons scream and leave. People set free. We have histories of years of, of doing inner, inner, inner healing for people that are set free. Addicted personalities, broken. Those are, some of you are sitting here. And so we believe what he said he would do. He can do it. But there's a battle, and sometimes it's like, is this, what's the legal authorization? The first thing you do in prayer ministry inner healing is you got to forgive. You make your list of who do I need to forgive? All the ones who betrayed me, broke my heart, abused me, took advantage of me. Jesus said, forgive or you will not be forgiven. It's an open door. It's a, it's a block to your healing. And then you got to confess your sins. Because if I, if, if I do, 1 John 1, 9, I confess my sins to Him. He's faithful to forgive me from all unrighteousness. Those are conditionalities of, of walking in this place. But then there's times, God, I, you didn't do it the way we prayed and believed and fasted. And so the first thing the devil does, remember his strategy? Well, God's not good. Did God say he'd heal everybody? And you start wrestling. So let's look at some scriptures that will probably start you down the path of that doesn't seem fair that God would do it that way. He's sovereign, and He's good. If you can camp on the fact that He's a sovereign God, He's good, you'll be okay. Trust me on this one. Okay, just here we go. Turn with me to John chapter 9, verse 3. John chapter 9, let's begin in verse 1. Jesus heals the blind man, John 9, 1. As Jesus was walking along, He saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, His disciples asked Him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of His own sins or His parents' sins? See, now they're looking for the legal right. We know that blindness, remember He said the, the blind should see, the lame would walk, the deaf would hear. So, He's been blind since birth, so obviously they're looking for somebody sinned. There's an open door here, right? We don't know generationally. We know what the book says in Exodus 20, verse 5, Exodus 34, that the sins of the Father can visit to the third and fourth generation, right? But I will bless to a thousand generations those who love. So we don't have maybe all the context of this, but here's what it says, and I believe what Jesus clarifies for us is, it was not, verse 3, it was not because of the sins of His parents, His sins or the sins of His parents, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in Him. 
Now, how does that settle you? It's like, Lord, uh, wow. Okay, let me give you just maybe a little twist. We don't know this for sure, but why did Jesus do miracles? So they would believe Him, right? Right, the, the signs and wonders verified the message was true. So let's just say for one moment, hypotheses, there's other people around. He's walking along, and here's this blind guy, and there's this interaction. So what if the blind guy has his eyes opened, but he has his eyes opened? And what about his parents? And what about the crowd? What if there's 10 or 20 that get saved as a result of that? Would you think that was glorious? <laughs> what, if it, what if it was one of your children who got saved as a result? Would you, that's glorious, and God in your masterful, unfathomable riches. So, again, we look at it, it's like, that doesn't look fair. That guy sat in blindness since he was a kid, right? It's like, so my ways are not your ways. They're a lot higher than yours, and I'm good, but we'll challenge that, right? Um, my Down syndrome brother is in heaven, Jeff, now died at 62. Growing up, it was like I'm the oldest of the four boys, people calling him retard. I can't tell you the number of fights and bloody noses I got into. You're not going to call that. And come to play stickball, football, all Hauser boys play together. We ain't having that retard play with us. Well, then none of the Hauser boys are playing and there was a guy named Bobby Woods. I beat that guy, and he beat me so many times. Just before he died, he called me. This is years later. I'm going to moved away. He found me. He said, I want to ask for your forgiveness for the way I treated your brother. Wow. You know, it's like, okay. So this is like, God, it's just not fair. I don't see the fairness. But if any of you who knew my brother, he loved the Jesus. He could dance right here like you would not believe, Right? And he was such a lover. Oh, my goodness, right? Hey, God, your ways are not my ways. You know, your ways. He's taught me compassion. And the times I've ministered to people who have disabled children, I understand where you're at. Okay? All right. So there's something about this mystery. All right, now we're going to dive into one that's even maybe more troublesome. Turn with me to the book of Job. We're going to introduce this, and we'll come back and get this next week. The book of Job, I had some debates with family members over this one, and uh, I've been meditating on it, and tried to, I tried to dress this pig up, and I don't know how to dress it up. Put lipstick on it and everything, it didn't work. Okay. Okay. Job. Now, I'm just going to take a couple of things. First of all, in Job chapter 1, you probably know the story of this, but let's look at some highlighted stuff. There once was a, a man named Job, verse 1, who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless and a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. King James said, he was perfect and upright and the one who feared God and eschewed evil. So, like, this guy is like, wow. He's like, even God says, you see? And then... Of course, now the question that comes is, Satan comes, right? He, this guy's really wealthy. He lists all of his wealth. And he had 10 children, Job did. And he says in verse, my sons would take turns having feasts in their homes, and they would invite their sisters to celebrate. So the 10 siblings get to have together. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, they're partying for days, Okay? 
Job would purify his children. Didn't say they did. He would get up early in the morning and have a burnt offering. Listen to what he says. I did this. Perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. So these guys are regularly parting animals, right? And Job is like interceding for them. That's a good thing. Parents, we do that, right? Just in case. But the, that language of just in case they've cursed God in their hearts. And so, that, that's the setting. And then, you know, the, he says, verse 6, New Living says, One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. New, uh, King James says it this way, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and the Satan came along with them, patrolling the earth. And so, there's a lot of questions. I thought in Revelation 12, it says there was a war in heaven and Satan was thrown out, right? And in paradise. So, I've, I've studied the commentaries on this, and there are those who think, well, there's a limited access. Satan has limited access in heaven that he can bring, come into the courtroom, right? There's time. But he's not, he's normally patrolling the earth, and that's, his, that's where he's at. He's been thrown down to heaven, right? To torture and to torment and kill and steal and destroy. And so, so this is that place where now it appears, one of my family members said, it seems like God and Satan have a bet. He says, to Satan, God says, Lord says to Satan, verse 8, have you noticed my servant Job? Oh, Lord, why would you do that? He's the finest man in all the earth. Wow. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God. He stays away from evil. Yeah, Job, he's got a reason to fear God. You always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosperous in everything he does. Look how rich he is. Reach out and take away what he has, and he'll surely curse you to your face. All right. Go test him. The Lord said, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Are you, are you unsettled in your spirit right now? Yeah. Verse 13, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the, at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived from, so they just happened to be partying, and a messenger came and says, your oxen were, were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them when these raiders came, stole the animals, killed all the farmhands, I'm the only one that escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, another messenger came. This is a bad day. A messenger came, the fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all your shepherds. Yipes. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. When he was speaking, a third messenger came with the news. Three bands of Chaldean ra raiders came, stole your camels, killed your servants. I'm the only one that escaped. While he, yeah, that's what I said. While he was speaking, another messenger arrived with the news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in your oldest brother's 
home, their oldest brother's home, suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness, hit the house with all of its size. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I'm the only one escaped to tell you. Jube stood up, tore his robe in grief, shaved his head, fell to the ground to worship God. To worship God. I came in naked from my mother's womb. I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had. The Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Now, who is this guy? In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Now, okay, that storm that came against his children... Now, we have stood on, and we have stood when those hurricanes are coming. Some of you have stood on the ocean, rebuked that storm, and we've seen it turn and go places. They said it wouldn't, all the spaghetti models, and like, no. And it, wow, I don't believe they could have rebuked this storm. God pulled back His hand. This was a Satan storm, a satanic storm that I don't believe, you know, how, Satan was given authorization, and I don't like it. I don't like it, okay? But guess what? My ways are not your ways, Tom. And so we look like this. And one of my family members came to me. Well, I said to him, well, you know, God blesses him later, goes through all the tests, and he gets, children, he gets ten children back, and he has double all the wealth. He goes, I want my original children. I don't want the ten replacements. That's good. I like that. What's God doing? Why is this in this book? Because He wants you and me to really, really understand. He is the sovereign God, and He's always good. And it's always been the devil's plan to discredit God, to prove He's not good, or to make you believe it's not good. And He is good. What if it was their time they needed to go? That was their season and time. And I, So we, we judge God like this. When he's saying, I'm like this, if we, and I believe this is so critical, if you hear anything I've ever said today, there's a time coming, unless you really trust the goodness of God, that he can always be trusted, you will not find faith in the earth. Jesus said, when I come back, will I find anyone with faith in the earth? That is, you've got to anchor there. God, I, I can't see what you're doing. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But guess what? What did Job say later? Now, he goes, Satan goes back to replace this. We've got five more. Satan goes back to give his report, right? And it says, well, so did, uh, you can hear God. So, so did he curse me yet? No, he's praising you. But I, I got another thing in my pocket here. Let me go touch him physically, and you'll see what he does. He goes, oh, yeah? See, God knows everything. And I think he's showing us as part of the judge. You know what I'm believing? I believe Job is going to be there in the barbecue pit when he's settled up and brought in, and Job is going to be there, and he's going to see. <laughs> right? Just, that's just me. And so... He's going to prove to Satan there are people who love God beyond anything else that they have. They are the ones that are going to believe who he said he is. And what did Job say? Once he's, now, I don't understand this, but he gets struck with boils. And he's in a lot of pain. In fact, his wife looks at him and goes, man, 
When I had surgery on my face, and man, I got some pictures that one of my grandchildren told me I didn't even need a Halloween costume. It was, oh my, it, it was awful. It was real, and right, and so my wife said, Yipes. Well, it's worse for Job. She says, you know what, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Man, you'd be better off if you, where's her heart? Good Lord. I thought it was for better or for worse or something like that. Isn't that in there somewhere? And so, like, okay. So, she says, curse God. So, even the closest to you. Then the three friends, they're a lot of help, right? Tell us your sins, Job. Obviously, there's something wrong you did, right? It's like, and so, and you got 40 chapters, something like that, with Job. It's like, good Lord, in the morning, can't we get past this? And so, but here's Job's response in his sickness, and we'll end here. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Go ahead. If God kills me, I'll still trust him. See, there's another man in the fire. There's another man in the fire likened unto the Son of God. Right? And so... God wants us to really anchor this down, regardless of what's happened or what's going to happen. Because when it starts really getting on, this ain't nothing yet. When it gets, starts to unravel and things start happening, I pray that this word is anchored in our soul. That we understand, I don't get it, but it doesn't matter. Or they come to arrest us that we will not deny him. This is that desire that we will stand and we will believe what God said. So we're going to balance this. We're going to look at this. I'm going to, there's some questions on the bottom of this page that I think it's the desire for us to wrestle with. So would you look at the book of Job this week and then look at these questions on the bottom, A through F. Questions are, is all suffering the result of sin? Who sin? Authority of believers. Are there limits to the authority of a believer? What storms can you rebuke? In the end times, when God is the sovereign ruler, is man's dominion diminished at that point? Paul's thorn in the flesh. The struggles of uncertainty. These are questions I'd like you to wrestle with the Holy Spirit this week on. Like, wow, think about that. Because it's good to ask these questions now <laughs> and settle it in your own heart before you get battered and bruised by the life. And you've already maybe had that happen, like all of us. And then we'll get to the conclusions next week. So let's stand. Hallelujah. I want to invite the ministry team. You know who you are. Um, <laughs> God is good. So ministry team, come on up. If, um, if you're not sure if your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, this would be a really, really good time. And if you're listening by live stream, you can text it in, or you can call the office, or you could call Parthena. She's on the lines in, at the office there, and so prayer line that we have, so you can come and go on our website. And so let me, I love this benediction. I read it the other day. It's in, in Jude. And Jude, Jesus' half-brother, and the church was going through a lot of trouble at that time, and he said this. There was a lot of questions. He goes, my dear friends, this is verse 20 of Jude, my dear friends, you must build each other up 
in your most holy faith. Isn't that good? Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. We started the service like that. Build each other up and pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you'll keep yourselves safe in God's love. And you must show mercy. You got to show mercy, guys. To those whose faith is wavering, rescue others by snatching them from the flames of this judgment. Show mercy to others. But be careful. Do it with great caution. Hate the sin they're in that contaminates their lives. Now, unto Him who's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, man, before the presence of His glory with exceeding great joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for being here. Come for prayer.